Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Economist Asks. I'm Anne McElvoy, and this week we're asking, how do you win or lose a presidential debate? Nothing is straightforward when President Donald Trump is at the podium. We're moving on. He didn't take them. Well, Vice President, a, ex, no. Can I be honest? It's a very important question. Try to question. be honest. No, I, he, I, stood I, he stood I, up. No, the answer to the question threatened. is no. After the chaotic scenes of the first debate in Cleveland, we speak to someone who knows the president's debating style inside out. I had to watch a lot of what he had said because though his style is, to be polite, unorthodox, (laughs) it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. As Hillary Clinton's former long-term advisor, Philip Reiner's prepped her for the 2016 debates. And in hours of practice runs, he took on the role of Donald Trump. The moderator says, Mr. Trump, what say you about China? Well, I, I've done so many deals. I love China. China knows. I've done hundreds of deals, maybe thousands of deals. China, I know China. Pretty good. But does he think Mr. Biden did a good job when Mr. Trump consistently talked over him, trying to throw him off his stride? And was enough done to contest the president's untruths? Our guest says Joe Biden could do more. Well, amid the backlash, the Commission on Presidential Debates has announced that it wants changes to rules to the remaining showdowns. It says that additional structure is necessary to ensure a more orderly discussion of the issues. We ask whoever you think won, does it really matter? Here's my colleague, John Prideau, who hosts our Checks and Balance show and is our US editor. Debates tend not to move polls. um, And I think it's partly because the people who pay most attention to the debates are the political hobbyists and junkies, and they've all made up their minds already. This isn't just a sort of assertion. There's quite a lot of data on this. Well, my esteemed colleague there is one of those political anoraks who just can't get enough data. But does our guest agree with John's judgment? Philip Reiners, welcome to The Economist Asks. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Now, you wrote last year, I might know Trump's debating style, if you want to call it that, better than anyone on the planet aside from Hillary Clinton, of course. Why is that? Well, because I uh, subjected myself to uh, many hours of watching his debating style in 2016. His efficiency with his message and with his style broke down to a fairly simple formula of one, I'm great, two, she's terrible, and three, I'm going to digress into some somewhat uh, related matter or really nothing to do with anything. Let's say he was asked a question about China. The moderator says, Mr. Trump, what say you about China? Well, I've done so many deals. I love China. China knows. I've done hundreds of deals, maybe thousands of deals. China, I know China. China, the biggest bank of China, they're in my building. Beautiful building. So many buildings. Bank of China. 
she doesn't know anything about China. She's made the worst trade deals. Uh, the Chinese don't respect her. So that's a jumble. But think about it. You have heard three things. I know China. She is bad about China. And I have an expertise about China because they rent space for me. And that's what interests me talking to you in the aftermath of the kind of shout-a-thon that we saw in the debate that happened this week. How much has the Donald Trump that you watched now changed from the Donald Trump that you channeled when you were prepping Hillary Clinton four years ago? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, in simplest terms, Donald Trump, the I was going to say the human, although it's hard to often <laughs> use that term. But Donald Trump, the man, has not changed. Donald Trump's circumstances have changed. So four years ago, he did not expect to be president of the United States. He did not expect to win. When you have nothing to lose, you approach things very differently. Now it's four years later and he has everything to lose. 2016, he had a developed message. He focused on trade, immigration, Obamacare, and the swamp, as he put it. Now those things were in line with Republican orthodoxy. He had a very well-honed argument and attack on Hillary Clinton. Um, he spent very little time defending himself. He was delivering message. Now. That's pretty much all gone. He cannot articulate what he wants to do in his second term. So that that's one problem. But you see, I mean, I'm, I'm going to already give a little bit of a challenge in there. And I mean, here's something that Fox News said. We might not be surprised it was the Fox part of News, me. Thought, hold on a second. The part of yeah. me that channels Donald Trump, I do not want to be challenged. I cannot tolerate challenge. I will tell you right now that challenging me is very nasty. That is a very nasty thing to do. Some some bad things are going to happen. It's, it's a very it's, we're going to a very dark place. <laughs> Fox News said of the president's style, and I thought there, there was something in this. Trump trampling both men in the debate this week. Biden and Chris Wallace, the, the debate host, uh, the two men, referred to as if they were annoying White House reporters. His supporters were undoubtedly cheering a show of strength. Now, do you agree that for Trump's core audience regardless of whether he had a coherent defense of his presidential record, that this bullish technique could have worked or did work. I mean, it works with the people that it's already worked with. I mean, that's great if his supporters were all excited by last night. But that's it. Look, Donald Trump does not have a theory of the case. He is president. He wants to stay president. He doesn't have a clear, I think, distinction between message and strategy. Trump said it himself. Trump, when asked how he's preparing, told Fox and Friends last week, I prepare every day by talking to the press. And I understand the point of that. The problem is, is that you decide when you talk to the press, you decide for how long, you decide what you say, you decide who you call on, you decide when to cut them off, you decide when to walk away. And what I was thinking this morning uh, about what I was going to say to you, Chris Wallace and Joe Biden were inconveniences to him. He couldn't make them stop talking and he couldn't walk away. What I did wonder was whether you thought that Trump did take preparation perhaps more seriously than he likes to boast about when he says, basically, I just do this. I'm just 
good at it and I do it every day. So if we looked at something, let's take a, an example here. He would know that Joe Biden would struggle a bit on law and order, given that there are just various views about where that borderline uh, lies in his own party around protest and the, the limits of peaceful protest. And so he said this, we believe in law and order and you don't. The strongest rebuttal that Joe Biden could muster in the moment was that violence is never appropriate. Fair point, but it, but not exactly a zinger. If you're saying Trump hasn't got a filter, I think there is preparation that has gone into getting Biden onto that square of the chessboard. But I see your point. I, I, I he definitely he does smell fear, and he does know what appeals to his base. And I think the particular exchange that you're talking about, Joe Biden did not have. A particularly compelling answer. It was the right answer, but it was in the face of the onslaught. It was rather sedate. I think on the larger point, if Donald, it, it's debatable whether Donald Trump has a strategy day to day. I do not believe he does. But let's just stipulate for a moment he does. He says to himself, I can win again the way I won four years ago. I can run the same playbook. I can be angry. I can channel the anger of my so-called base. Now, I get it. And if he wins, he will have been proven partly right, if not largely right. The problem is, is that anger is not necessarily the, the predominant feeling being experienced by people or 100 percent of the people who voted for him. I guarantee you the next time that there is a poll, he's still at 40 percent approval. Great, we'll take take that bet, and uh, you can you must come back to us and, and tell us how that worked out. I'll come back anytime. Did Joe Biden handle the attacks well? Uh, there's a really interesting point that you make there about the limits of anger, because it's such a a hot and like disturbing mode. It was disturbing to watch this debate in many ways, but by the midpoint, Joe Biden's rather courteous, Mister President formality had given way to, he was being hectored and shouted down the whole time, and, and he was coming back talking about this clown, he could keep yapping, he said at one point, which sounded a bit unscripted. Now, was that strategic heating up of the Biden position in the face of this blunderbuss, or was he losing his cool? I couldn't quite decide as I was watching it in real time. Well, you know what? I, I think it was natural. I don't know that I'd call it losing his cool or I think losing his rag, as as you might call it. And even if he did, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But I, I would say this. It's easy for you and I, for the entire world to say Joe Biden should do this. Joe Biden should do that. I don't think Joe Biden disagrees with us. The problem is, is that Joe Biden has to do something we don't have to do. And that's walk into the chainsaw. And until you do it, you really you really can't get it. I mean, there are only two people in the world now who have debated him one on one, Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. And I would hope people now see that it's harder uh, for Hillary Clinton. And she handled him pretty well. And Joe Biden does not have to. His strategy is really to hold serve. Joe Biden did not have an imperative to achieve anything in particular. He's winning. He's doing well. And that doesn't mean that you coast and rest on your laurels. But if the first debate had been canceled and never happened, 
Joe Biden would probably be in the same position. What? Well, do you think that he held his own pretty well? Or did you worry? And I have to say, I'm not an American voter, but I follow American politics and I've followed the presidential debates for a couple of decades. And I suppose there's a bit people slightly on the edge of their seat, perhaps hoping for more zingers from Biden, perhaps thinking, is is there enough kind of efficacy coming across here? So that, as you say, he might have been playing a very, very smart defensive game and staying largely out of traps. Did you have any worries about a lack of heat to the Biden performance? See, here's the problem. It's a Super Bowl sized audience of 100 million people. I was going to vote for Joe Biden before the first debate. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden after the first debate. He could have sat there and eaten a sandwich the whole time and I would vote for him. People are looking for different things. A lot of it is just to be satisfied. Of course, a lot of people want him to yell and scream at Donald Trump because people are just so fed up with Donald Trump. When you debate anyone, let alone Donald Trump, you have to make a fundamental decision. Are you turning your head and quarreling with the guy 10 feet to your right? Or are you looking straight forward and talking to the audience? Now, Joe Biden's plan was clearly to go speak to the audience because that's what he's been, been doing for five months and it's been working. I don't think he realized how hard it was to do that with Donald Trump. Now, I will say this for Donald Trump that's a little contradictory from what I said earlier. The Donald Trump that appeared for the first 20 to 30 minutes was a little different of a variety. From my perspective, he I don't think he mentioned corruption. I know he didn't mention Hunter Biden. He did not launch into anything personal except the, maybe the intelligence. I imagine the people who helped him prepare were pretty happy for the first 20 or 30 minutes. That they That is a Donald Trump that they saw was aggressive but also effective. But that gave way. And now those, you know, forget about what I say. Those people say he was too hot. I mean, you have many Republicans saying he was just, quote, too hot. And they probably think that he could have dialed it down and crushed Joe Biden. So here's, here's the thing that I've noticed. And there's the debate about who the debate about the debate. It's what we're here for, right? We're so meta here on this show. But it is what uh, a lot of America and a lot of the wider world is talking about. If we look at the mood, and there was a lot, I think, of disappointment, not only the like, echo chamber of Twitter, but I sort of, oh, my goodness, you know, this is what's happened to this great tradition of the presidential debates, that it become a shout show, as my colleagues on the intelligence uh, called their show the next day. But then Steve Hilton, a former director of strategy for David Cameron when he was prime minister in Britain, who, who tends to give, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to Donald Trump now, he's uh, in the US. <laughs> You're being polite. He's also a Fox ho- host. He is a Fox host, but he's been around politics a long time in the UK and in the US. And, uh, you know, I know him well, and he's often quite good at getting to the awkward bits that a lot of people don't want to face up to. And he said this, that a Democrat's establishment media would have loved it and praised Biden's strength, energy and stamina if Biden had interrupted and badgered Trump throughout the, the debate. Now, you could also say, in fairness, you know, if you, there were lots of quite rude bits <laughs> coming from Joe Biden. So are both of these men equally to blame in terms of bringing down the quality of debate, even if, even if, and I feel that like you're going to say no to this, even if it was that big bully, it was Donald Trump, what started it? Well, I, I think that that is unfortunately an example of false equivalence where, and I think the easiest way to prove that is 
if Joe Biden were on stage last night with any other Republican, he would not say, come on, man, or, you know, why don't you shut up? There's no there's no both contributing to it. Joe Biden, there was no way to be on stage with with Donald Trump and to you would have advised a candidate to say, uh, stop yapping or come on, man. You would have said, yeah, that's good, because you're channeling the moment's frustration. My overall strategy or, or advice would have been and I think Joe Biden did this a little. I probably would have done it more strongly was the first time they spoke, the first time he spoke was to say, look, I just need to say this, and I never thought I would say this to a sitting president, but I've worked with and for eight presidents, and the audience knows you're gonna stand here and lie. And when you, when you say something is a lie, it's the truth. When you call something fake, it's real. When you accuse someone of something, you're guilty of it yourself. I can't say that every 30 seconds. I can't interrupt the conversation every 30 seconds. Chris Wallace can't do it. But you know, everyone at home is on to you and they're gonna remember it. And that was an important way to frame it because then it gives you a little bit of leeway to not um, have to do it every time except for in really egregious situations. Now, that said, I believe that Joe Biden losing his cool is human and appropriate. You you have watched debates for a long time. I you know I don't think you're old enough to remember 1988 and Michael Dukakis. Tragically, I am, Philippe. Yes, yeah, absolutely, I am. Just about. Of course, I was very young at the time. I was a child prodigy. As was I, and it was actually my first vote for president. But Michael Dukakis, who was the Democrat, was facing. Um, George Bush, who was then the vice president, and he was asked this infamous question about if your wife Kitty had been raped, would you still believe that there shouldn't be a death penalty? And Michael Dukakis immediately launched into an answer about the death penalty as if his wife had not been invoked. And here, here we are, whenever you watch uh, a highlight reel of American debates, you always see that moment as an example of someone being too dry, of not being emotional enough. So I don't think it's a problem that he showed flashes of frustration and even anger. I don't know if in hindsight, you know, they have two more debates. Now, it's important to remember the second debate is a town hall. And while there's still only one moderator, you've got people in the audience. It is going to be harder for Donald Trump. Now, he will find a way to still do it, but it'll look even worse. You've said before that the Democratic nominee needs to be able to say you're lying to Donald Trump. Now, Biden did say that. He framed uh, at the outset that that was what was going to happen. And of course, that meant that as we went on, he wasn't getting into an argument about facts that could have contradicted uh, Trump's false claims, of which there were many. Do you believe that this works, just this broad framing, which says everyone at home who wants to listen will know that you're a liar? Or do, is the lie word now bandied about so much when it comes to Donald Trump, for good reason, but that it's beginning to lose its salience, it's beginning to lose its power? And this notion or this question about whether Joe Biden should act as a fact checker, I think that there's a, a misnomer to that. Joe Biden is not some third party sitting at a desk 20 feet away, just looking on Google to see if someone, he, when he says something, when he says, Donald, you just lied, it's almost like he said, he said. You've got half the country saying Biden just lied and half the country saying Trump just lied, which is why 
it's important, this, this discussion about the moderator's point of view. And it's also, this was a big discussion in the months leading up to the debate, was whether or not these debates needed to be structured in a different way than previous debates, where there was some kind of real-time fact-checking, or at least some time at the end where the fact-checkers could say, well, here's the eight things that Donald Trump lied about, and here's the two things that Joe Biden got wrong. Well, but- look, here's an example. You see, that's really what I, I want to press you about. I, I, when we covered 2016 and the aftermath, the rise of Donald Trump, there was a lot of belief that kind of fact-checking would get him. You know, If the fact-checkers could come up with a disproportionate amount of untruths, lies, falsehoods, distortions, whatever you want to call it, and throw them at Donald Trump, Credibly, that in some way this would move the needle. So the BBC did some fact checking uh, on the debate this week. They did point out that Biden wasn't always entirely correct either. There was a particularly one which I must say I, I did sort of stop and think about in real time when he said manufacturing went into a hole before coronavirus. Well, BBC fact checkers reasonably credible source uh, concluded that in fact half a million manufacturing jobs had been added in. Trump's first three years in office. So don't you get into a position where, although the falsehoods are disproportionately on the Trump side, there is a tendency to kind of be economical with the truth when you're the other contender too. And that sort of takes us not very far. Again, I think that's a, a false equivalency. If someone knows from medical, from your own medical scientists masks are the primary way to stop the spread of a pandemic, or they tell you that deaths are above 200,000 and counting, and then you go out and say masks have no bearing and only 10,000 people have died of COVID and the rest have died from a host of other illnesses because they were old and going to die anyway. That is a different problem than if Joe Biden gets a manufacturing statistic wrong. He didn't get it. You see, I really think you're I think that might not be right. Joe Biden chose to frame it in that way because his narrative is that the economy has not thrived under Donald Trump. Now, it's perfectly reasonable. I think a lot of our coverage would point out that presidents are not actually very directly responsible a lot of the time for what goes goes on in, in US manufacturing. They kind of ride the wave. But uh, certainly Bill Clinton did when he said it's the economy, stupid. You're used false equivalence, but in a way I wasn't suggesting equivalence. I was simply saying that if we're going to get into fact-checking, then that fact-check is going to hit someone who makes a claim that that President Trump's record was, was more faulty on the economy than it is. There's a difference here. So if Donald Trump has 32 of these things over 90 minutes, whatever you want to call them, lies, screw-ups, mistakes, misstatements, and Joe Biden had three Now, it is not fair to Joe Biden and to the rest of us that Donald Trump is lying at a rate of 10 times more than any other human being. Your point about the economy, I will say this. The Democrats have not been effective on the economic argument. And if COVID didn't exist, this would be uh, Donald Trump's race to lose. And, And that's, I think, Joe Biden's point about manufacturing is not that everything is hunky-dory. It's that you still have sectors that aren't coming along. You still have wage growth that isn't where you want it. And there is a debate, Donald Trump's favorite talking point about uh, unemployment among the black community. But they are, as a political matter, these are stretches. It is much easier to be Donald Trump six or nine months ago and say the stock market is at 29,000, an all-time high, 
and unemployment is at an all-time low. It is hard to politically argue with that. And, and they are both factually correct. You can bicker about who's responsible for that and whether you could make things better. For instance, the tax cut is a perfect example. You can have a debate about, did the tax cut improve the economy? Did the tax cut do anything to improve people's lives? Tax. You mentioned the T word. And two days before the debate, the New York Times, of course, reported the president paid a magisterial $750 in federal income taxes in 2017 in several years, paid nothing at all by an act of tax alchemy. The president uh, dismissed claims as fake news. And he said in the debate he did, in fact, pay millions of dollars in federal income tax. Did the tax revelations cut through as an attack? So here's a great question for the ages. You just said it. The $750 is horrible. He would have been better off paying nothing. And what's amazing is that in one year, he got a $72 million refund. And in one year at the beginning, he lost $916 million. Somehow those numbers are easier to understand <laughs> and accept than the 750. But does it matter, Philippe? Let me push you actually, Let me push you a bit on does it matter. The Economist this week said revelations about the president's tax returns will give ammunition to his challenger, but they are unlikely to change the campaign. Were we right? Well, we won't know and we'll never know because if someone wins, it's a culmination of a lot of things. And if someone loses, then everything they did beforehand can be uh, portrayed as wrong. But here's the, here's the problem in terms of the debates. Donald Trump very efficiently dispensed with the tax argument. I mean, and I haven't in the time since the first debate heard the number 750. It hasn't even come up. Now, maybe that's a problem. Now, when people are upset and their unemployment benefits ran out, just weeks ago, and the Republicans refused to take up any replacement or extension bill, and the economy is suffering, and he is acting like everything is okay, that 750, and that 750 is so tangible. It is such a tangible number. I know- I mean, it riles you, right? It riles a lot of people. I understand that, and I hear that. No, it doesn't rile me. What riles me is that it's taken, we've, there have been huge revelations on his tax returns. In, in, 2016, between the first and second debate. But but the question is whether it changes something, and you, you know, you're not sure. I'm not sure about anything, because there's no way to know. I guarantee you that polling will show that it was very problematic. Since we've had these televised debates uh, from 1960, so nearly 60 years ago to, to the day, the incumbent party share of the vote in polls has an average not changed at all surprised me, actually, how far back this goes. I would have been wrong about that between two weeks before the first debate and two weeks after the last one. So overall, how much do you think that they matter? I think they matter. I think they matter, if nothing else, that you have to make sure you don't screw up. George Bush, looking at his watch infamously, in 1992 absolutely cost him votes because it was consistent with what people were concerned about, that he was a patrician and that he could not relate to their pain. So it's the unforced error that can cause you the bigger problem. Yes. You, it is an opportunity to do well. If you can't seize on that, you sure as hell better avoid um, it, it bouncing back in your face. Lots of criticism around of Chris Wallace for not getting a grip of the debate and perhaps not being able to intervene enough. What did you think watching it? 
I believe Chris Wallace himself did not perform up to Chris Wallace standards. Problem, knowing Chris Wallace and, and knowing how high of a standard he holds himself, he woke up the next morning and wishes he had done a few things differently. And like Joe Biden, probably did not anticipate how hard the onslaught is when you're in the line of fire. On top of that, he is operating within the framework of a presidential debate commission whose rules do not work with Donald Trump. And they did not adjust for that in any way. In some ways, it was inevitable that if anyone could handle it, it would be Chris Wallace. And he didn't. My thanks to Philip Reines there. So, did the debate change your mind, or do you think it's not worth bothering with the next two? And for all the sound and fury, will you be tuning in? We'd love to know what you think. Do write to us, radio at economist.com, or you can tweet us at Economist Radio. And yes, we do read your feedback and comments here on the team. Last week, Oscar winner Hilary Swank told me she'd like to play James Bond next. Patrick Carew wrote to us. I'm a big fan of Hilary Swank, and I think she'd be an excellent James or Jane Bond. However, I would nominate Charlize Theron, who's acted in many action movies. She's also an Oscar winner, and she'd be a good person for The Economist Asks to interview. Hmm, how about it sometime, Charlize? For your best introductory offer and to follow all of our brilliant coverage of US 2020 do go to economist.com slash podcast offer. The link is in the show notes. I'm Anne McElvoy, and in London, this is The Economist. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.